Well, good morning. morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from uh, the chapel, the warehouse, or an off-site campus on the internet, podcasts, wherever you happen to be in the world, we're glad that you uh, have chosen to join us today. And I just want to make an announcement worldwide right now. I am not running for president. (laughs) It's not going to do it. I am, however, uh, already missing the negative ads on television. I don't know what we're going to do without that. Hey, <laughs> um, let me ask you a question. Have you ever done this, like especially maybe now during a fast or after the first of the year or whatever? You stepped on, let me ask you first, how many of you have a scale that weighs yourself in your bathroom? Anybody have one of those? Okay. How many of you are depressed when you, when you yeah, okay. Okay, so, so have you ever done this? Have you ever stepped on a scale like I did the other day? And you looked down at the number and you said, that cannot be accurate. <laughs> that is not right. Somebody must be pushing down. You look around, you're the only one in the room. And you're saying it must be the batteries. Or somebody really heavy stepped on this and it kind of, and then you r- realize you're the only heavy one in the entire house. And, and, and you go, this is not good. It's not accurate. Here's the good thing about that. You're the only one that ever knows. Let, let, let me ask you another one. Have you ever had somebody post a picture of you on Facebook and then tag you with it, and you went, oh, my goodness. You know, so, sometimes, sometimes they did it on purpose because they caught you in a bad moment. But sometimes just well-meaning people that go, you know, hey, they'd love to see this picture that I posted. You look at it, and you go, oh, my goodness, that is going to be on the Internet forever. That's what the world is going to think of me, and that is totally inaccurate. Ever had that happen at all? Yeah, okay. So the other day, I'm on an airplane. And uh, well, it, it was a while back, I, and, and uh, flying next to somebody, and it was a guy, and, and he asked me what I do for a living. You guys know that whole gig. And can, can I just time out right now? When, when I fly someplace and I come back to Charleston, always have to go through Atlanta or Charlotte, right? You know, we know that the rapture will be routed through one of those two, two places. But, um, so there are always sea coasters on the plane. On the way, I just assume that, and some of you I, I don't recognize or don't know, and you guys are pulling my chain, okay? What do you do for a living? It just, you know, that's not right. I just want to tell you that. That is not right. So anyway, this guy, so anyway, this guy, this guy asked me what I do for a living, and I told him. And he, and he said something interesting to me. He said, you know, it, it, after a little bit of the conversation, you know, I, I need to tell you up front, he says, you know what, I don't believe in God. And I said, Really? I said, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I might not believe in him either. Which was kind of, you know, he was, okay. And so, and so he went on <clears throat> to explain why it was that he didn't uh, believe in God. He, he went on to describe an, an inaccurate picture, really, of God. And uh, somehow he'd, he'd gotten an incorrect picture. Maybe others had posted something about God or brushed up against him in life and and I thought, that, that's hardly recognizable. No wonder he doesn't believe in God. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about how important it is that those around us see an accurate picture of what God looks like. And I'm going to talk specifically to each one of you. And hopefully, I'm hoping today to rattle your chain a little bit, to be honest with you. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about some things that are probably going to be pretty personal but I think it's stuff that we need, to, we need to converse. And I think it's stuff that if, if we get it, then we can give an accurate picture of who God is. Uh, we're in a series called Immeasurable. 
uh, that we're taking from Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and 21. If you attend Seacoast very much, you know that at the end of every service, we give a blessing. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's the first part of the verse, and we dealt with that the first week of the series. And if that's true, if God is able to do immeasurably more, then we really ought to dream bigger dreams. We really ought to pray more specific prayers, and we ought to be taking risks uh, by faith in, in God. And then last week, we talked about the next part of that phrase that says, according to His power that is at work within us. We talked about the power of God, how the power of God works, how you access the power of God in you. This week, I want to take the next phrase, uh, which says this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. To him be glory in the church. What, What does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God in the church? Does it mean that when we gather in this building or whatever building that you're in, that we sing really cool songs and we sometimes raise our hands in praise or sometimes we clap our hands or sometimes it's like really quiet and we just sense God's presence? Does that what it mean to glorify God in the church? Well, that's part of it, but it's just a really, really small part. Does it, does it mean that when we come to the church that the, um, the, the teacher gives you know, a really accurate or really practical kind of message from God's Word that penetrates our hearts. That's part of it, but it's really a small part. What does it mean to glorify God in the church? Does it mean that we all kind of share the burden of serving so that everybody's kind of serving so, you know, with the children and parking and greeting and all that goes on that we all kind of do it and there's a rotation so that everybody carries the load? Uh, That's part of it. Yeah, glorifying God in the church, but it's a really, really small part. Maybe it has to do with how we respond during our response time, that it's wholehearted and that we come to God in confession and, and, uh, and intercession and prayer for our friends and that we give generously. And Well, that's part of it, but it's just a really small part. How, how do we glorify God in the church? So let me tell you one thing. Um, oftentimes, when we think of the church, when we talk about the church, we, we think of a building, right? This is Seacoast Church building. And I'm not going to get really legalistic on that. I have some friends that, that are. And every time I say uh, the church, which re- refers to the people in the church, and I refer to a building, they go, you know, time out, that's wrong. I, but uh, I know there's kind of a, it, it's okay to refer to this building as Seacoast Church. So long as you understand and know that it's not the church, this is the church. The people are the church. And so when we talk about glorifying God in the church, we're we're talking about in our relationships, the people in the church, what we display to the world. How do we glorify God through who we are, not the building that we worship in? So how do you do that? Well, Jesus is always our our, our model and our, our example. In fact, it says, uh, to God be to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. In Hebrews chapter one and verse three, there is a description of Jesus. It says this: the Son reflects God's own glory, and everything about Him represents God exactly. He said He's a reflector. He's like a mirror. He reflects God's 
glory. And everything about Jesus is an exact representation of God. So, so Jesus gives God glory in every way. What's the picture? Um, what's, what's the picture of God that someone sees when they look at you? Is it accurate? Or, or, or would it look like one of those mirrors that they have at the fair? Have you seen those? You know, those deals that they're all warped and distorted and you stand in front and your little kids just laugh. Look at mama, you can't even hardly recognize who it is, you know. Is that the picture that people get when they, when they look, look at me, look at God? Or, or maybe it's like this, maybe it's like a mirror that I had one time that if you stood in the right place, you could see, okay, but here was a place over here that wasn't really good. Maybe that kind of represents our lives that, well, there's parts that it'd be okay, but don't get over here because that really doesn't look that much like God. Or maybe it's how, how, how is my reflection of God compared to last year? Because honestly, we're supposed to be coming more and more like Him every day. Today I'm to reflect His glory just a little bit more accurately than yesterday. Okay, that's supposed to be the deal. Here's the problem. George Barna, who is a sociologist that studies uh, uh, mostly churches and Christians and then writes books about them, um, wrote not long ago in a book, and he said this. He said, in virtually every study that we conducted, representing thousands of interviews every year, born-again Christians fail to display much attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Did you get that? Born-again Christians. This is kind of the, the radical fringe of Christianity. Born-again Christians fail to display much of attitudinal or behavioral evidence of transformed lives. Most lifestyle activities of born-again believers are essentially the same as those who don't believe. They're just as likely to have said something to someone that was not true, to have gotten back at someone for something that he or she did, and to have said mean things behind another person's back. And it goes on and it just lists a whole, whole bunch of stuff. And when I read it, it was like, honestly, it was discouraging. I saw myself a little bit in there. I thought, this isn't right. You know, we, we repeat the scripture at the end of the service for 23 years. God is able to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And the truth is, there's a really inaccurate picture. He's not being glorified. If what Barna is saying, God is not being glorified hardly at all by the church. Hardly at all. So what do we do? What do we do? I want to challenge Seacoast Church. What do we do? How do we glorify God in the church? So, so what I want to do is I want to break it down into kind of three pieces, which I normally do. But they, they, it has to do with, uh, I think, our, our thoughts, mind, uh, our, our words, and our actions. And so I'm going to kind of attack it from there, see what the Scripture says, and uh, then let's commit to glorifying God in the church. God is glorified in the church when, first of all, we capture our thoughts toward one another. We capture our thoughts toward one another. Uh, for those of you who don't live in Mount Pleasant, you, you don't know my pain. Um, they are uh, redoing the road system here in Mount Pleasant. Anybody familiar with that? What's going on is, it, is they're taking the major thoroughfare through town, uh, 17, and, and they're, they're just redoing like the whole thing. 
and to make it uh, easier for people to get around here to go through, they're widening what was four lanes to six lanes, and they're doing some flyover overpasses and some other stuff, and it's just really a blessing right now. And um, so the other day, I was stuck in some road construction, and I was in a hurry, and nobody else was. Have you ever been like that? And so my mind filled the time making a list of why this particular project was not a good idea. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this particular intersection where I'm at, and I'm going, how is this going to work? I mean, we're going through all this stuff. How is what they're doing going to make this intersection any better? I couldn't see it. I just couldn't see it. And then I looked over, and I thought, that, that was a perfectly good, they just redid that road. That was a perfectly good piece of highway. What I would have done, if I was in charge, I would have left this part that we've already paid our taxes to do, and I would have done some around it, and that would have been fine. I was just off into all kinds of stuff. Then I, I'm looking, there's no way they'll be able to fit six lanes into this space. You know, who's the brilliant scientist in charge of figuring this out? That's just kind of what I was thinking as I was worshiping the Lord uh, right there. <laughs> and the longer I sat, the more irrational my thoughts became, and I had a Kairos moment. Do you know what a Kairos moment is? Kairos moment is a moment when God breaks into time. It's a God moment. It's when you, you've got Kronos, which is you know uh, chronological time, and you're going along, and boom, it stops for just a moment. God breaks in, and he gives you kind of a revelation or a teaching or a correction or whatever it happens. And I had a Kairos moment. And the Kairos moment was this. There's a master architect that thought all this stuff through. And it was like the Lord said to me, and he's a little more qualified than you are, by the way. And when it's completed, you will be amazed at how efficiently it accomplishes its purpose. That's the thought that I had. And in that moment, I saw a picture of myself when I'm under construction and I question God's work. Sometimes I feel like he's tearing up a perfectly good highway. Have you ever been there? God, there's other areas you could work on in my life, but this one's pretty close to being right. Why do we have to tear this one up? You know, have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that? You know, we're doing good in this area, but it seems like nothing's working there. And then, and then uh, I sometimes don't see the delays as road work that's necessary for a, for a better experience, for a better highway. And my questioning in fact, is a lack of trust in the master architect. And here was my take home from that whole thing. Here was the Kairos moment, you know, was this. That if I'm going to, in my own life and also in the road traffic that will be here for the next few months in Mount Pleasant, if I'm going to last through it, my take home is I've got to change the picture. I've got to change the picture from seeing just a nasty construction pro project to visualize the complete product and to rejoice in the process. To rejoice in the process. I, I've got to think about, when I, when I think about how God's dealing in my life, I've got to think, not the mess that sometimes there is in the construction, but the, the final pro, pro, uh, product, the visual, I change the picture. It's not just God that I have to change the picture about, that I have questions about. Some of you are pretty confusing sometimes. I mean, I, I mean you know, you, we, we see other people doing something, saying things, acting out of character, and we tend to make all kinds of assumptions, don't we? I've talked about that before. Most of the assumptions that we make about what somebody else does, thinks, or you know, what's on their mind are, are wrong. Are wrong. So, but, but somebody acts out, says, does, whatever. 
And we just have this assumption. We make it. And we, then we get offended. And we get hurt. Or maybe we quit talking and quit communicating. Maybe we are absent from the group that we're a part of. Or, or maybe we change churches. Or maybe we quit the church entirely because of road construction in somebody's life and things that are going on. How do you, how do you survive the, the construction in somebody else's life? You change the picture. Change the picture. I love the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. I always pray for you and I make my requests with a heart full of joy because you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am sure, look at this, I am sure that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes again. This whole passage is interesting to me as a pastor. Because he says to the Philippian church, he says, you know, every time I think of every one of you, I give thanks to God in prayer. And I'm thinking, really, Paul? There's nobody in the church that just irritates you? I mean, do you have anybody in your workplace, there's nobody that just irritates you? Nobody? In your family, extended family, there's nobody that just irritates you? In your small group or missional community, there's nobody that just irritates you? Really? I'm thinking, Paul, there's got to be a few EGRs in that church. You know what EGRs, extra grace required people? Think about the circle that you're in. Can you think of somebody that just, they're extra grace required? If you can't think of them, it's probably you. Okay, probably you. Sure, Paul's got these kind of people. In fact, later in Philippians, he talks about a couple of ladies that can't get along and it's just, it's just he doesn't know what to do. Okay? But he says, he says, you know what? Every time I think of you, I give thanks. Why? Because I've changed the picture and here's the picture I see. I don't see all the road construction. I see the fact that God will complete the work. And I'm confident that he will. And there's a process and there's roughness along the edges when it's going on. But I'm confident of this. This is what I'm going to focus on rather than that roughness. I'm going to focus on the fact that God will. And some of you as parents, you need to think about that. Focus on the fact that God who began a good work, he will complete it. He will complete it. Changes the picture. He focuses on the finished product. Now, why is this so hard for us to do? Because there's an all-out war being waged on our mind. In fact, Ephesians 6 and verse 12 says, For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, against the wicked spirits in the heavenly realms. Until you get that, that there is an all-out assault, there's an all-out war being waged on your mind, And in your mind, until you get that, you'll think people are the problem. You'll think the guy at work, the boss, or the lady, or or somebody in your small group, or the neighbor across the street, you'll think they're the problem. They're the problem. They're the enemy. They're not the enemy. There is an enemy that is at work. There's warfare going on. It's not flesh and blood. It's principalities and powers. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 3 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. 
On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish argu- or strongholds. We demolish arguments. In other words, it's saying, okay, you've got supernatural weapons and here's what, what they're for. They're to demolish arguments, thoughts, thoughts, arguments, and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. When I have a thought, when I have a thought, I've got to, you know, the, the natural thing is just take the path of least re- resistance. Oh, that must be true. And he says, no, you capture every thought because there's, there's a spiritual terrorist. There's a mental terrorist that, that is sowing lies about God, sowing lies about other people, and sowing lies about yourself in your mind all the time. And so when a thought comes, you've got to capture it. How do you combat it? Ephesians 4 and verse 21 says, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. Let's go back to the Barna study. He said, he said attitudinally and action-wise, born-again believers are about the same as unbelievers. The study. You know why? Because there hasn't been a revival in their attitude. There hasn't been, there hasn't been doing the hard work Allowing the Holy Spirit to change thoughts and attitudes. There needs to be a spiritual renewal. He said, you must display a new nature because you're a new person. Created in God's likeness, righteous and holy and true. And here's how you do it. Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, and what is right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. So that's, that's, you've got to exercise mental discipline, he says. You've got to fix your thoughts. So you, you capture your thoughts and then you go, okay, is this true? Is this lovely? Is this admirable? Is this praiseworthy? If it's not, then I'm not supposed to think it. I'm going to think about something else. And here's what I think. Here's why I think it's so important. Because God needs to be glorified in the church. And if God is going to be glorified in the church, it's got to begin in the mind. We've got to capture our thoughts and we've got to change the picture. When we, when we see the construction going on in other people's lives, other believers, and we're tempted to say this, we think it before we say it, we've got to change the picture. So, no, you know what? I'm going, to, I'm going to look at the finished product here. I'm confident that God who began a work in her will continue that work. I'm confident that God who began a work in him will continue that work because I've changed the picture. Now, here's the second one. First, we capture our thoughts. And if God is going to be glorified in the church, we've got to purify the words that we use toward one another. Purify the words that we use toward one another. Hey, does anybody here remember the game just a few weeks ago where Tim Tebow and the Denver Broncos absolutely scorched the Steelers? How many of you remember that? Wasn't it good? I loved it. It was fantastic. Overtime, longest, longest throw, shortest overtime, all that stuff. So let me tell you what I was doing during that game. I do what I normally do uh, with what I call major shared experiences, like football games that you know everybody's watching or a lot of people are watching or the Academy Awards or music shows or whatever. It's, it's so much fun. Rather than just watching it by yourself, watch it with all your friends, and you can't get all your friends in your house because they don't all live there, so you use Twitter. Okay, or Facebook or whatever, texting, and you're texting back and forth, trash talking one another, which is fine. Okay, you know, you get a lot of Pittsburgh fans. I love to, you know, just nudge them. They're nudging me back and all this kind of stuff, and just going back and forth 
on the internet just talking about it. And that's great. It's good. So I'm watching that. We're doing that. And all of a sudden, here came a tweet from a pastor acquaintance that I know in another part of the United States. He'd been, you know, doing the same thing with everybody else with the game. All of a sudden, he nails a zinger, a nasty, nasty thing about another pastor that he disagrees with theologically in Texas. This is a guy that has a large church in Texas that smiles a lot. He's on TV. And he, and he wants your best life now, okay? And, 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 so, and, and so my friend up here in whatever part of the United States he was at just nails this guy. And this guy probably isn't even watching. He's probably not even doing that. But for the world to see, he makes a nasty statement about him because he thinks he's saying something that people need to hear because this guy's doctrinally impure. And when I saw that, my heart sunk. I'm going to be honest with you. My thought was, in that moment, God is not being glorified in the church. God is not being glorified. In fact, God, the picture of God to those outside the church is forever, you know, implanted in the internet to whoever would see that. And it's not right. It's not right. And then a little bit later that week, I was, uh, my quiet time, I read James 4. I was reading through James. James is a tough one to read at the beginning of the year because it nails you. Okay. James 4 said this. Don't speak evil. Well, how about we read this out loud? Just not me. Okay, let's read it. Don't speak evil against each other very much. Let's try it again. Don't speak evil against each other except when you're mad. No, it doesn't say that. All right, let's go on. Let's try it again. Don't speak evil against each other, my dear brothers and sisters. If you criticize each other and condemn each other, then you are criticizing and condemning God's law. Stop there just for a minute. Here's what he's saying. According to most commentators that I read on this verse, we talk about God's law. This is a New Testament thing. He is talking about the Old Testament. He's talking about, when you remember when um, somebody came to Jesus and said, what's the most important you know, part of the law. And Jesus said there's two parts. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That was the royal law, the law of love. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? He says, he says, going back just a minute, if you criticize each other, condemn each other, then you are criticizing and condemning God's law, which says love God and love, love your neighbor. Okay, let's go on and read some more. But you are not a judge who can decide whether the law is right or wrong. Your job is to obey it. God alone, who made the law, can rightly judge among us. He alone has the power to save or destroy. So what right do you have to condemn your neighbor? Is that pretty strong? Pretty straightforward? Is there anything we don't understand about that? He says, don't speak evil. Don't Speak evil against your neighbor. Now, there's a process you can go through if you think someone is in sin, someone is in error. There is no process to go through if you're just irritated at somebody. The process for that is put your big boy underwear on, get over it, 
Love covers a multitude of sin. And you, 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 be, you take the high ground and you see the finished product and you just go on. But if someone is in sin, in error, in Matthew chapter 18, it says, here's the process, you go to them one-on-one. Because that takes guts. It doesn't take guts to get on the internet and fire a missile on Twitter about somebody that you don't like or you think is doctrinally off. That takes no guts whatsoever. What does take guts is to, is to go one-on-one and sit there and say, here's where I feel like not that I have a problem with you, but where you're, you're in sin. You're in sin. Now, it, the Bible also says that if you do that, you just might win a friend. That's the goal. You go in reconciliation so you can win a friend. It says, now, if that doesn't work, take it bef- uh, uh, to, to the elders. And if that doesn't work, take it before the church and let's get it worked out. Because it's important. Why is it important to get it worked out? Because God needs to be glorified in the church. God needs to be glorified. So, that, so that's the process. It says nothing about trashing them on social media. You know, I have friends who have become very, very popular. Uh, I have several of them. Fortunately, I'm not one of them. And if you'll Google their names, they're pastors and leaders and stuff. If you Google their names, you find not only, you know, their website or their church site or whatever, but a lot of times with several of them, there's a, there's a, a website usually created by a Christian that is there to trash them, to give the truth about them. I have a problem with that. I, I don't think that's the way that you do it. Now, oftentimes, sometimes that, that's people well-meaning and just wanting to, you know, let the church know or whatever. Oftentimes, it's just sour grapes. It's an ex-employee or ex-friend or ex-church member or whatever it happens to be. And I can say this openly because I don't have one of those. I, nobody cares, you know. Nobody cares about me. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, well, never mind. Never mind. I've got a lot of, we're, we're getting way behind. But um, <laughs> I, see, I see sometimes, I, I consult with churches every once in a while. I'll see guys, you know, that, that they just have loads of security all around them. And I'm going, who wants to kill you? You know what I mean? No, nobody wants to kill you. Why, why are you wasting all that money? So anyway, that's kind of, kind of like that for me. I mean, nobody cares, you know, and that's good. That's a good thing. But whenever I see one of those, I go, God isn't being glorified in the church. Come on, church, let's grow up. Let's learn this stuff. So what about you? What do your last five Facebook posts say about you? Is God being glorified in the church? Are you taking a shot at, you know, somebody that didn't talk to you or, you know, or you're you're just spewing off about whatever, or maybe it's a doctrinal thing or what does it say? Matthew 12 and verse 36 says, and I tell you this, that you must give an account on judgment day of every idle word you speak. The words you say now reflect your fate. Either you will be justified by them or you will be condemned. That's pretty strong stuff, isn't it? I often wondered, how in the world is God going to have like how can God record every word that I say? And now with Facebook, it's easy. He'll just go I'll go, I didn't say that. He'll go, January the 6th, 2012. Look up the faith, Facebook account, Peter. Come on, bring it up. You know? Is God being glorified? Or what happens when you're alone with friends and you're just talking? Is God being glorified in that conversation? What about when you got a little group of you at Starbucks or Barnes & Noble or 
wherever it happens to be, is God being glorified through your words or are you careless? This is hard. This really is hard. James 1 and verse 26 says, if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you're just fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Does anybody else struggle with that besides me? I mean, my tongue is my biggest, you know, God gave me an ability to speak and the devil cursed it with an ability to be sarcastic, you know. I've got a comeback for everything. So this is tough. This is hard. But gang, we've got to work on it because the stakes are too high. James 5, or 3 and verse 5 says, So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. Verse 9 says this, Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it breaks into curses against those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this isn't right. So here's what I'm going to do. It's the beginning of the year. We're still making resolutions, right? I'd love to make a resolution for Seacoast. That in 2012, I challenge you to a zero-tolerance policy on this. That we look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29. This be our scripture for the year. says, in fact, let's read it out loud. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't that a good scripture? When we read that scripture, I never hear anybody go, praise God, I'm claiming that one. And it's like, oh my gosh, I, I violated that. I tell you what, let's have a zero, po- zero tolerance policy. If, we, if we'll capture our thoughts, purify our mouths, I believe that God will be glorified in the church. Let me give you one more. I said that we're going to do three. Last one real quick. I believe that God will be glorified in the church when we direct our actions toward one another. We direct our actions toward one another. Philippians 2 and verse 4 says, Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be interested in others too. And what they're doing. Let me ask you a question. How far into your day do you get before you start thinking about somebody else? Are you kind of like me? I, I brush my teeth, comb my hair, iron my clothes, make my breakfast, drink my coffee, drive my car to work, open my email, update my Facebook, get upset by the lack of likes and retweets to my pithy wisdom. You know, what I mean, it's all about me. And then somewhere during the day I go, oh yeah, it's not about me, it's about somebody else. What about today? You say, well, Greg, I had really, plan- really big plans for selflessness later on in the day. That's good. <laughs> Look at Jesus' instructions. Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then do what? Glorify your Father in heaven. God is glorified in the church by our good works. Toward one another. And look, look uh, I don't know if I had this one on the outline sheet. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know, Jesus is having a conversation with his father in John 17.4, and he says this, You know, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. What about you? Could you have that conversation with God? 
Are you bringing glory to God by just doing, by serving, by doing everything He's told you to do? Well, I don't know if I ever hear Him. I look at my own life and I am so chastened by this. I just don't take time to listen enough. God's speaking. The challenge is, are we listening? Are we listening? Start, starting to try to start my conversations with God each day like some, something like this. Lord, Lord, what, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? Lord, what things am I going to forget that if you don't remind me to do that, that, that I won't do? And Lord, who, who's not on my radar today that should be? You know, if you'll start your early morning prayer, if you'll start your first, your first consciousness in the morning recognizing that God is for you, not against you. And then just saying, God, who, who do you want to love through me today? Who should be on my radar? I think we'll begin to glorify God in the church. February 17th and 18th are going to be very important days in the life of our church. We're asking leaders in our church to give us about six hours. We're going to come together. We're going to call it a Pathways Conference, Pathways to Discipleship. We're going to examine ways and just dream about ways and challenge each other how we can be more others-focused and how God can be glorified to a greater degree in our communities. We'll tell you more about that later. But Jesus is our example. Mark 10 and verse 45 says, For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. You know, if anybody deserved to be served, it'd be the God of the universe. But he says, I didn't come for that. I didn't come so you could serve me. I came to lay my life down. See, the moment we act selfishly, who are we imitating? It's not God. We're imitating Satan because he, he, it's not in his nature to serve. Jesus came to, be ser- to, to serve, not to be served. Many years ago, I went to visit the largest church in the world, Seoul, Korea. Um, almost a million members, if you can imagine that. Someone asked Pastor Cho, what was the secret of evangelism in this non-Christian country? And here was his answer. Just serve people. Serve people until they ask you why. Pretty good advice, isn't it? Serve people until they ask you why. What if we all did that? What if we all decided to capture our thoughts toward one another? To change the picture that we have to each other to the completed uh, project for the glory of God? What if we had a zero-tolerance policy toward negative talk about a brother or sister? What if we were so honest as to go to each other, maybe to go to people in a small group or family group or whatever you happen to be a part of, and say, you know, this is a challenge for me, and I want to do it. I don't want to stand before God with sloppy words. Would you hold me accountable? When you hear or you see me Twitter or Facebook or in conversation, you see something that comes out that is not glorifying to God, would you hold me accountable in love? Would you do that? Because that's what I need. Wouldn't that be something if we did that? What if we all did? And the only things that came out of our mouths were for the building up of others. What if we directed our first thoughts on how we could serve each other in our communities where we live? What, what, What if that was the case? Do you think God could be glorified in that church? Do you think the world around us would see a more accurate picture of Jesus? Do you think maybe, do you think maybe that Barna could write a book maybe five years from now and come to Charleston, South Carolina and say, you know what? What I said back then is not true. 
Because it's spreading. It's spreading. It's spreading. There's a revival in attitudes. And there's a revival in actions. You think we could do that? I want to tell you the truth. As your pastor, been here 23 years. Why not just quit and go do something else? I lay awake at night dreaming of that kind of church. Dreaming of that kind of church that loves God with all their heart and is demonstrating love toward one another and in whom God is being glorified. It's possible. That's the church that God created us to be. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these wonderful group of people. I thank you for the privilege of serving here. And God, I thank you for your word. And I pray that your word would penetrate to our hearts. This is a hard message, and it's hard for all of us. I put myself in that category. But God, we're going to commit ourselves to being the people of God that reflect and radiate your glory so that others will see an accurate picture of you. And in the next few minutes, God, I just pray that you would help us just to begin a revival right now in our hearts and our attitudes. Help us to just be honest with you as we respond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.